Today we're going to focus on verses 20 and, and, and 21 as we kind of, like I said, tie up the first part of, of Ephesians. But Paul writes, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, uh, that he would grant you, this is the request that he makes, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, number one, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit, in the inner man. And so I uh, encourage you to hang on as we go through this today. It's going to be really important, that phrase, through his spirit. Uh, strengthened through his spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know uh, the love of Christ, which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So he tells us to pray for strength. He, he tells us to pray that Christ would settle down and be at home in our hearts. We talked about that last week, that, uh, that we would be able to comprehend and experience the love of God, that we would truly experience the fullness of God's presence. And now he, he closes it out, and it looks like to me, you know, verse 20 begins now to him, and then when you get to verse 21, it starts out to him. I think he was going to close the prayer with, praising God, but then it's almost like he interrupted himself again with another thought about God that I think kind of summarizes the whole prayer, maybe in a way summarizes the whole first three chapters of Ephesians. He says, now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. Uh, we've, We've talked about as we've gone through this how Paul likes to put words together and invent words and all these kind of things. We'll get into this. We go through this. That's really what he does here. Uh, Let's read that together. Let's go back to verse 20. Let's read it together, all right? One, two, three. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations Forever and ever. Amen. All right. Club 56 kids, you can head out. Everybody else, you would uh, have a seat. And hopefully you've got your Bible because we're going to uh, you know, try to break this down and, and, and really look at it. Um, all right. L- l- let's be honest for a minute. All right. Can we be honest in church for a second? Um, I'll be honest then. You can decide whether or not you want to be honest. L- let's do that. Uh, I, I believe all the Bible is true, and, and I believe all of it's God's Word. Uh, no question. But in a way, sometimes I don't know if I really believe that, at least if I act that way. You know what I'm saying? Because we talked about this earlier in the series. What we do tells us what we believe, not, not what we say. Um, you know, sometimes I believe it, but I, I got questions. I got doubts. Uh, I can really identify sometimes with the guy in the Gospels who was talking with Jesus, and he, he said to the Lord, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Sometimes that's how I feel. Uh, sometimes, like when I pray, it's like I'm saying the word. You're, you've done this like you're saying the words, and maybe they're the right words, but on the inside, you just don't really know. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, sometimes, uh, you know, when it comes to prayer, when it or when it comes to relating to God, I man, this is what I feel like. Some of you know, 
uh, that for a few years in the past, I, I coached basketball, mostly rec league basketball when you're helping with an AAU team. But a um, couple of years with Jay and uh, maybe like, I don't know, five years, something like that with Molly. And um, the first year that I coached Molly, she was in middle school and we had a good team, but then had to move up like into the next age graded uh, level. And uh, so I took over a team that had not won a game the year before. And uh, apparently it was just a complete mess, a complete train wreck. Derwin Helton, who led this at this time, he didn't explicitly say these words, but pretty much what he implied was this was like the worst team they had, boys or girls, in any of their age range in uh, Morristown Rec League. I mean, it, it was a train wreck. And so, uh, you know, we, we won a couple of games or so that year. I mean, we improved. Uh, we were competitive at least part of the time. And part of the time, we got killed. And like, you know, when, when you're a coach, like, you know, you're maybe giving a pep talk or you're giving instructions before a game or in a timeout or at halftime or whatever. And, and, and sometimes you're saying the right things, but on the inside, you're thinking it does not matter what I say. We have no chance. This is not going to work. Uh, I mean, Red Auerbach, uh, Phil Jackson, whoever, I'm dating myself, uh, could, could come in and Steve Kerr could come in and give the pep talk and coach the second half right now. And we're still getting killed because we just don't have the talent to compete with the team that, that we're playing right now. And so, you know, we saying the right things, but on the inside, I'm thinking something completely different. And I think if we're honest, we're that way with God sometimes. I think we're that way when it comes to prayer sometimes. We know the Christian phrases to utter. We say the right things, but really, we're just going through the motions because at that moment, we don't believe it in our hearts. Now, I'm not beating us up for that. Um, I'm just saying we just need to be honest about it. We just need to be real about it when, when that's where uh, we are. I think we're all going to be there uh, sometimes. But the scripture we, we just read says some pretty audacious things. Right? It, it, I mean, it says some pretty audacious things. And, and here's what I want us to, to get from this today. When it comes to prayer... I want us to believe this instead of just saying some words. Uh, when it comes to salvation, I want some of you to know that God has the power to forgive and, 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 and cleanse and change and transform you. He's already done the work through Jesus Christ. Uh, for those of us who are Christians, I want us to see that we can actually experience this power that he's talking about in our day-to-day -day lives. We can actually be transformed by the work of Jesus Christ. I don't want this just to be words on a page, but something that we actually claim. Not just words that we actually say, but something that we believe in our hearts. And, and so here's the thing about God's power, and I think this is something that we, we miss a, a lot of times, is... I think we think of it as a feeling, and it's not a feeling, it's a fact. You don't feel your way into experiencing God's power, you believe your way into experiencing God's power. 
See, a, a lot of times where we stumble is our faith is based on our experiences instead of our faith being based on the Word of God. Or a lot of times we're looking for a feeling or we're basing how we respond to God on a feeling instead of realizing that we believe our way into feelings, we don't feel our way into belief. It's faith and then experience. Chris, I hope you don't mind me, me saying this, but um, I didn't say this in the first service. It, it just hit me. You know, one, one of the things that I heard Chris say in the, the, the tragedy, the trial their family's been through recently that just spoke to me so much is, I don't feel this right now, but I know it more than I've ever known it. That's faith. And, and, and that's real faith because real faith is taking God at his word and acting on it. Whether it seems to be true in our experience, whether we feel it, whether we understand it, it's claiming it and acting on it. And so when God says, now to him, or when Paul says to God, now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, do we believe and act like that is true whether or not we feel it or at a given moment or whether or not it seems to actually be happening in our experience at a given moment? Because, let's be real, this is where we struggle with this sometimes, I think. I know I do. Sometimes we pray and it doesn't seem like God is answering our prayers. So we actually put our faith in, in a sense, the experience of it seeming like God's not answering instead of the truth of what his word says about that. So do we really believe this? Now, what's this verse saying to us? Well, just boil down into a simple sentence, and, and we'll, we'll dig into it a little bit. But it, just a simple sentence, a main idea, I think what these two verses are saying to us is that God's power is working in us so that he is receiving glory from us. God's power is working in us so he is receiving glory from us. The ultimate purpose of all of this is that God be glorified. So God, by his grace, is saving us and empowering us and working in us and answering our prayers so that he would receive glory from us. So that's why I can call this message power and glory. That's kind of the two sides of this. God's power us responding by giving him the glory that's due to his name. And so let's uh, talk first of all uh, about the power side of things. And let me just ask you a question. Do you need God's power in your life right now in some way? I mean, if you're honest, do you, do you need it really in a lot of ways? I mean, is there something you're asking God to do? Is there something that you're struggling with that you know you need God's help to overcome? Is there a relationship uh, that needs to be fixed? Is there something that you need to lay down? Is there something that you need his help in doing? I think this is a real thing. I mean, I think if we're honest, in all of us right now in our lives, I don't think you'd be here if this wasn't the case, we would say, yeah, I want to experience God's power. But then I also think we have the question, can that really happen in the real issues of my life. Am I right? So, 
What is God's power? Well, let's, let's talk about it in three ways. First of all, uh, let's talk about the nature of his power. And, and, and to do this, we need to go back to Ephesians uh, chapter 1. And, and let's read starting in verse 19 through the end of the chapter. Okay? This is what God says about it. What is the great, exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, notice this, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And then he goes on and talks about seeing him in his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and these kind of things. But, but I think just for simplicity's sake, uh, let, let's just focus on that one phrase which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. What's the nature of God's power that is in us, according to these verses? It's the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in us if the Spirit of God is in us. Now, is that not mind-boggling? I mean, once again, when I say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, when I read that phrase, that applies. I mean, I I believe it's true, but, I mean, how can it be true? Why don't I live like I'm more empowered by God? Why is my life more different if it's really true? I mean, I mean, do you have those kind of, we ought to ask those kind of questions. Why are my relationships more different? When I see more answered prayer, why isn't God using me more? If this is true, if the resurrection power of Jesus Christ is in me, but Scripture says that it is, you say, how could that be? Well, remember, when Jesus died for us, he died as our substitute, atoning for our sins. For God made him uh, who knew no sin to become sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Does that mean Jesus literally sinned? Absolutely not. What it does mean is that every sin that was ever committed was placed on him. What that means practically for you and I is this. It means that God treated Jesus like he had lived the life that I've lived so he can now treat me like I've lived the life that Jesus lived. Did you get that? That's the gospel. On the cross, God treated Jesus like he had lived the life of sin that I've lived. So now he can treat me like I've lived the life of righteousness and obedience that he lived. That's the great exchange. That's incredible. But even beyond that, not only on the cross was Jesus the one who was the substitute in my place, but the Bible tells me on the cross that I identified with him, meaning that now I have died to sin because it's like I died with Jesus, but I've been raised from the dead to walk in the newness of life because I'm raised up with Christ. And now the Christian life is that uh, I've been crucified with Christ, no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. His power, his resurrection power is on the inside of me because his spirit, the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead is on the inside of me. You know, really what that means is that you and I don't have any excuses. Greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world. We can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. It's not by might or by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord, because his resurrection power is on the inside of us. Now, sometimes we can have power and not use it. 
And that's what we do, but it's there. It's there. So that's the nature of the power. Now, let's think about the scope of the power. Now, uh, Jake, if you would put uh, verse 20 back on the, on the screen again, please. And so let, let's look at this for a second. Uh, actually, chapter 3, verse 20. Um, so he, he says, now to him. Now, let's just read this again in English. Who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us? That's kind of a mouthful in English. All right. But I want us to, to get technical for just a second and, and look at it in Greek to help us hopefully grasp more of the fullness of it, although I think this is, is honestly just over our head. So Greek scholar Kenneth Wiest uh, describes the verse uh, this way. Okay, he says the, the first, meaning this, this first uh, phrase here, which in English, you know, to him who is able, uh, he, the first characterizes him as one who is able to do, in the Greek, uper panta, literally above all things. Thus, uh, in a measure exceeding all things, beyond all things. Now, the second speaks of him as able to. Now, th- this, uh, this, this looks like just a bunch of letters, right? Uh, this looks like your two-year-old got a hold of your uh, keyboard on, on, at your computer. But it's actually a Greek word, but it's actually a triple compound Greek word. We talked about uh, Paul putting words together, making stuff up, throwing stuff together, this kind of thing. I mean, we know what a compound word is, right? Like if, if we use the word return, re the prefix, turn, turn around, come back, uh, it's, that's a compound word. This is the Greek words uper, that's a word, ek, that's the word, that's a word, perisu, that's a word. It's three words in one. Now, the word is made of perisus. Uh, which means exceeding some number or measure over and above more uh, than, than, than necessary. Basically saying, if you do more than enough, like if you needed $100 and I gave you 200 that's what that word means. Uh, uh, ek, which is perfect in force here, is basically he's using this little prefix to intensify what he's already said. And then uh, uper, it, it means uh, above. Um, so basically when he puts this together, it's a superlative of superlative. So in English, we have good, better, best and best is the superlative. So this is like a superlative on steroids. And he said, well, what does all this mean? So if you kind of boil down the bottom line is it speaks of the ability of God to do something, that ability having more than enough potential power, this power exhaustless, and then some on top of that. Thus, Paul says that God is able to do super, abundant, uh, super abundantly above and beyond what we ask or think, and then some more even on top of that. It's like infinity, and then add some to infinity, which you really can't even do. It's, it's, it's mind-boggling. I mean, it really is mind-blowing. I mean, I, I can't grasp this. Can you grasp this? If you can grasp this, I'm going to go sit down, and you come up here and preach, and we'll all be better off. I can't grasp it, but... If we can believe it and claim it on some level, is this not going to build our faith? This is our God. When we talk about God being omnipotent and having all power, this is really how Paul is describing that here. This is the greatness of our God. And so when we pray, this is who we're talking to. 
And you couple that, though, with God is all wise, which means he knows not uh, what's the best thing to do in addition to having the power to do it. And God is love, means he's going to do what is best for us, even if we don't understand. You put all that together, that's who our Father is. That's who we're talking to when we pray. That's who we walk with day in and day out. I mean, uh, that, that's crazy. Now, here, here's something else that's crazy. Um, According to the Guinness Book of World Records, the highest amount of weight that's ever been lifted by a human being was back in 1985 by a man by the name of Paul Anderson, and he lifted over 6,200 pounds. I don't know how that's possible. I mean, if you look at the guy, you think he'd lift a lot of weight, but I don't know. That's three tons. That's crazy. Now, think about this, though. A crane can generally lift about 40,000 pounds, but, but there is a crane in China Report, I mean, it's what Guinness Book of World Records says. I mean, I kept, like, doing the math and double-checking. I'm like, am I acting like one of the people at True Life that can't even do math? But I think I got this right. But there's, there, there's a, uh, there's everybody that works on our staff, pretty much. But there, there's, a, there's a crane in China, maybe not you, Philip, but there's a crane in China that, that, <laughs> that supposedly lifted 44 million pounds. Like a barge filled with water, 20,000 metric tons. Now, think about it this way. I mean, you think about Paul Anderson and how strong he is. That pales in comparison to the, I mean, even just take an average crane. It just pales in comparison. Listen, the strongest one of us pales in comparison to the power of our God. And our problem is, though, not a lot of times being too weak, it's being too strong. Because the Bible says that God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. And sometimes when we try to live in our limited strength, we miss the unlimited strength of our God because we're relying on our own power instead of the power of his spirit. I mean, think about it. Think about a crane that could lift 40,000 pounds. That crane lifting one of these chairs is no problem, right? So think about a God who has this unlimited power, who, this power that raised Jesus from the dead and that raised us from the dead too. Because remember, salvation is not God making bad people good. Salvation is God making dead people live. He's raised us from the dead. When we pray about something that's going on in our life day to day, it's like that crane that can lift 40,000 pounds lifting one of these chairs. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond all that we could ever ask or think his capacity to answer will never be challenged by our ability to ask. That's what this verse is saying. I mean, that's the scope of his power. But then I want you to think about the application of his power, and I think there's three ways that we see in Ephesians that we see here that this applies. First of all, this is the power that saves us. Listen, if you're not a Christian and you think, man, how could God ever forgive me? How could he ever change my life? It's because he has this power. I mean, it, this power is expressed primarily in what he has already done for us. And that's why I, I know we do it, but if we believe that God has done all these things for us in Christ, why would we question what he can do for us tomorrow? Think about what he's done for us. I shared this a couple of weeks ago, but I mean, as we finish up the doctrinal part of Ephesians, I want to review this again. I'd encourage you to keep meditating on these things. Keep reading this. 
He's done for us in Christ. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. He's chosen us to be holy and without blame. He's adopted us. He's accepted us. He's redeemed us. He's forgiven us. He's revealed to us his will. He's given us an inheritance. He's sealed us with the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of that inheritance. He's poured out the exceeding greatness of his resurrection power in us. He's made us alive together with Christ. He seated us together in heaven with Jesus. He saved us by his grace and made us trophies of his grace who display his glory. He's made us his workmanship and prepared us for good works. He's brought us near to him, ending the enmity by the blood of Christ. He is our peace. He's reconciled us to him, and he's reconciled Jews and Gentiles together in one body through the cross as the church, a new humanity. He's given us access, immediate, direct, personal uh, unlimited access to the Father by the Holy Spirit. He's made us fellow citizens with the saints. He's made us members of God's family. He's made us living stones in God's temple. And he's ultimately made us the dwelling place of God. That's the power of God at work in our lives. And that's why Paul said, glory be to him through all the ages by Jesus Christ forever and ever. Amen. God's power is working in us. So that he receives glory from us. This is who we are. This is what we have. That's the grace of God. That's the power of God. That's what it means to be a Christian. It's not based on our performance. It's based on God's power. But second, this power internally transforms us. This power internally transforms us. Now, this is... In some ways, if you're already a Christian, this is where the rubber meets the road, if we're going to be real about it. Because here's the thing. If God's this powerful, if if God's this gracious, if Jesus has done all of these things, why isn't my life different? Why aren't my relationships different? Why am I uh, struggling with this addiction or, or whatever it is that I may be struggling with? Remember, there's a great lyric in a Switchfoot song that says, every fight comes from the fight within. Every fight comes from the fight within. You know, we focus on the outward things so much, we want to win the outward stuff. It comes from winning the war inside. That's the name of the song. How do we win the war inside? We win the war inside through the power of God that's in us. You say, why am I not experiencing more of God's power in my day-to-day life? Well, this text answers it for us. And so I want us to look at a couple of phrases here. And listen, if you get this, this can change your life. It can change your Christian experience. It can change your marriage. It can change every part of your life. Look at at verse 16 again. He said to pray that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might in the inner man. But how does that come about? It comes about through his spirit. Now, let's look at verse 20 again. Now to him who is able... To do exceedingly abundant above all we ask or think. We've talked about what that is, but notice this last phrase. According to the power that works in us. Let's go back to verse 16. What's the power that works in us? You've got to get this. Strengthen with might in the inner man through his spirit. Who's in us? Where does this might, where does this strength, where does this power come from? It comes from and through the Holy Spirit. So, so here's, the, here's the thing you've got to get. 
the degree to which we will experience the power of God inwardly is, through, is according to the degree of which we are surrendered and yielded to the Holy Spirit. In other words, to the degree that God's Spirit is in control of us, that's the degree to which we will experience the power of God. If we're not yielded to the Spirit, we're not going to experience a whole lot of God's power. It's there. But it'd be kind of like, you know, we've got all these instruments and equipment and projectors and speakers and all these kind of things. But, but I'm sure if we just go pull a couple of plugs, a couple of cables, a couple of wires, that none of it's really going to work. Is this true, John? He's looking a little panicked back there, but, but he's agreeing with me, shaking his, nodding his head. Uh, and, and, and the same thing, all of this power, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, this power that we can't even express, that Paul's making up words, putting the words together to try to explain it. It's there, but if we're not plugged into the Holy Spirit, we're not going to experience its actual working in our lives. That's what he's saying here. You know, the Bible says we can quench the Spirit, we can grieve the Spirit. And so, uh, just here, here's a little graphic maybe that will, that will help us to, to visualize it. If you think of a cup being full, empty, this kind of thing, the more of us, the less of God that we experience. Now, it's not that he's not there. We're filled with all the fullness of God. The Holy Spirit lives in us. See, once you're saved, it's not a question of how much of the Holy Spirit do you have. He's not divided up. You can't add to him. You can't get more later. It's a question of how much of us does the Holy Spirit have. That's what's going to determine how much of God's power that we experience. More of us, less of God. Less of us, we're more filled with God. So it, 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 think about it this way. If you never spend any time with God, if you're not praying, if you're not reading the word, you're not claiming his promises, you're not living by faith, don't expect to experience the power of God at work in your life. If your life is full of sin so that you're not filled with the Spirit, don't, experience, don't actually expect to experience a whole lot of his power working in your life. If you're trying to fix it all yourself, you're relying on yourself, or you're going to human means or, or, or things, uh, you know, if you're going to alcohol or drugs or whatever else to try to fill that hole or try to help you to overcome, don't expect to experience a whole lot of God's power. The power's there, but we're squelching the power when we're quenching the Spirit. But when we surrender and we confess our sins and we let Jesus be in control and we ask to be filled with the Spirit, we're going to experience more and more of God's power working in our lives. And once again, it's not a feeling. It's a fact. It's not something that we feel our way into. It's something we believe our way into as we claim and act on and respond to and do what God's Word says because faith is taking God at His Word and acting on it. And then, I think a third way that this applies is we need to remember when we pray that this power is working. This is the power that's working to answer our prayers. Now, I would say over my uh, almost 40 years now being a Christian, I've seen God answer a lot of prayers. And I know people debate that, but I mean, some of them are just... I think, tangible and unexplainable in other ways. I've seen God do some pretty amazing things and just seen God do some, quote, little things just in, in, in day-to-day life. There's other times that I've prayed and God's not done what I wanted him to do. You've experienced that. 
He's done it differently than I wanted him to do. I mean, he's maybe not answered in any kind of obvious way yet. I mean, there's things that I've got questions about. But once again, we have to make a choice. We're going to base our faith. We're going to base our prayer life on what we've experienced or what we've not experienced. And, and even that's just our perception of it because we don't really even know what God's doing behind the scenes. We don't know why he's doing what he's doing. Are we going to base it on our feelings are we going to base it on the word of God? Now, I mean, I don't want to be trite about this because some of you are dealing with some ex- situations, experiences in your life right now that are really hard and really overwhelming. And, and, and you'd like God to do a certain thing, and it seems like maybe God should do a certain thing. And you're like, you know, why hasn't he? Why isn't he? And I'll be honest with you. I can't necessarily explain that to you. I'm not going to try. But here's what I would say. God's promised to save us when we call on his name. God's promised to fill us with his spirit when we ask. All of the promises of God in Christ Jesus are yes and amen. All of these things that we've read in Ephesians are true of us. They're working in our lives. We can claim those things. But when it comes to outward, external things, we don't necessarily have a promise of what God's going to do in every situation. God heals I've seen him heal miraculously. He's not promised to do it in every situation, though. We can't just claim that. We can't say God failed us. God doesn't have any power if he doesn't heal. I don't understand why he does sometimes, why he doesn't. But that's up to him. But I think here's the conviction that we need to come to when it comes to prayer and how this applies. It obviously applies to prayer. It says he's able to do exceedingly above and beyond whatever we ask or think. It has to apply to prayer. So think about it this way. Think about an Old Testament story. Daniel chapter 3. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Or if you're of a certain age, Shaq, Rack, and Benny. <laughs> right? And um, so, I mean, the story goes, King Nebuchadnezzar made, a, you know, made an image to him, told everybody he had to bow down and worship to them. Uh, Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they refused, so they get called on the carpet, hauled in before the king, you know, threatened with terrible death if they don't comply. And so, I mean, that's the gist of the story. But I want you to notice what they said. Let's read Daniel 3, 16 through 18. And this was their response. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. I mean, and this is regarding, you know, I'm going to kill you if you don't do what I tell you to do. He said, if this is the case, our God whom we serve is able. When you pray, believe God is able. To deliver us from the fiery furnace, from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. When there's no direct word from God about something in the Bible, pray, God, you are able, but I'm going to trust you whatever you choose to do. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do what's right. Uh, whatever you do, but I'm not going to doubt your power if you don't do what I want you to do because I know that you're able to do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond whatever I can ask or think. My capacity to ask is never going to challenge God's capacity to answer. If there's a situation in your life, a, a difficulty, a problem, keep asking, keep praying, keep begging God, but trust him that he has the power to answer. He knows what's best. He loves you. He's going to do what's best. 
and choose to follow him, to, to walk with Jesus, to trust Jesus, whatever happens in this situation, because at the end of the day, the cross and the resurrection should settle our faith, not some particular experience that we have in 2019. He's able. So God's power is working in us so that he would receive glory from us. Let's spend just a few minutes on this side of things. And then, like I said, we're going to take some time to worship and pray and respond at the end. And it's my hope and prayer that you'll let God work in you so today you can actually experience his power in your life. That this isn't just something, it's not a couple of verses of scripture, not just I came to a church service. But God is here, he's working, his power is present to change your life according to his word for his glory. That's the point of all that. Our salvation is for his glory. Our spiritual growth is for his glory. Answered prayers are for his glory. That's the purpose that we exist. That's why everything exists. When we talk about God's glory, what are we talking about? One definition, John Piper uh, describes it as the infinite beauty and greatness of God's manifold perfections. It's, uh, it's, it's a brilliant shining light emanating forth from God. Everything that makes God God, everything that's perfect about him, is shining forth in a brilliant light that is so bright that heaven is lit by it. There's no sun or moon there. That's the glory of God. So, you know, while we're talking about stuff we can't comprehend, let's just double down and, and talk about God's glory, too. Um, we'll experience it in heaven. We'll be so transformed then that we're actually capable of being in, in the very presence of the very glory of God. When we talk about us being glorified, that's really what's happening. We're being prepared to experience God's glory. So sins removed, sickness, suffering, death is removed. That's what it means to be glorified, is to be in the presence of God's glory and to be fitted and formed to live in that environment. Now we're fitted and formed to live in this environment. Someday we'll be fitted and formed to live in a heavenly environment, both spiritually and physically. Your loved ones that have died, that's, that's where they are right now. That's what's happened to them. That's what's going on. He's worthy of glory because of who he is, because of the cross. Remember Ephesians 2, 7? The ultimate purpose of salvation is the glory of God. So the only possible means of salvation is the grace of God. We're here to ascribe glory to God with our lives. That's why 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. We're here to ascribe glory to God with our lips. That, that's worship. Give unto the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Psalm 29, 2. We were created for his glory. That's the purpose that we're here. You know what makes us sinners? It's because we fail to give God glory. Let me think about Ephesians 3.23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All right, that's what Adam and Eve did. God gave them everything. They said it's not enough. They wanted to be their own God. Wanted to do it their own way. We've all done the same thing. That's why sin is so serious. Even beyond the sins that we commit, it, it, it's, it's, the, uh, it's the state of our heart. In my life and in your life, God has been so good to me, but so often I've turned my back on him and been self-willed and, and, and lived my own way. and, been, and I'm proud and I, I want to be recognized. I want to be patted on the back. Sin. Think about it this way. And um, this is not designed to be a joke about cats. It's not designed uh, to be an insult to cat lovers. 
this is just the truth, okay? Here's the Bible in a nutshell through dogs and cats, okay? This is just true. Even if you love cats, you're going to have to admit this is true, okay? You, you go buy a dog. You bring that dog home. You pet the dog. You feed the dog. You love the dog. The dog loves you. The dog thinks you're awesome. This is how most dogs are. Is this not true? The dog's loyal. The dog will do anything for you. The dog, even if everybody else in the family's mad at you, you come home, the dog hears your voice, the dog's running up to you, and, uh, you know, the dog loves you. The dog basically thinks you're God, right? I mean, you're the master, the dog is the servant, the dog is there for you. You go get a cat for whatever misguided reason that you might choose to do that. Um, you, you get a cat, and uh, you bring the cat home. And if you're going to have a cat, you should treat the cat well. You know, the irony is cats love me even though I can't stand them. You know, the neighborhood cats come and hang out at our house and that kind of thing. But uh, uh, so I mean, you get a cat, you bring the cat home, you pet the cat, you feed the cat, you love the cat. The cat doesn't care about you. <laughs> cat cares about itself. The cat's going to do what the cat wants to do. I mean, the reason I don't like cats is my grandmother had a cat when I was a kid that we called aerobics because it just go flying through the air, land on your head, and that kind of thing. And cats are crazy. But uh, cats, basically, you treat a cat good, you pet a cat, you take care of a cat, cat thinks it's God. It, 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 I mean, the cat thinks it's the master and you're the servant because you're there to take care of it and do everything that the, 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 you know, that the cat wants. And... I really hate to say this because it's true of me, but spiritually speaking, we're not dogs, we're cats. You know what our problem is? We've got it all backwards too. We've lived like uh, we're the master and God's the servant instead of him being the master and us being the servant. We've lived like we're God instead of he's God. We've lived like we deserve glory instead of him deserving glory. That's the essence of sin. And listen, life can't work long-term, and it certainly can't work eternally, unless we're living for the glory of God, because we're going against the very design of the universe when we live for ourselves. You want to know why life's messed up? You want to know why you're not experiencing God's power? I mean, be honest. Are you really living for the glory of God? which means that you're living to accomplish his mission. You're, you're living to worship and glorify him. You're relying on him, depending on him, walking with him, obeying him. If not, things are not going to work right. We're here for the glory of God. God's grace, God's power, everything he does for us is so that he would ultimately be glorified. So I, I want to close at least this portion of things by you watching uh, a clip of a sermon. It's about five minutes. It's, it's a, from a message by David Platt. It's so good. And then I'll kind of come back and just tie it together and, and lead us into a time of response. And like I say, ultimately the point of this is that we worship and glorify God, but experience from him, his power, receive today what is needed in our lives, what he has for us. But, but watch this clip. God is passionate about his Name being known and his glory being exalted all over the world. He judges people and he saves people. Why? Because he loves his glory. Now, 
that may feel uncomfortable for us to say or to think about, namely because that would be a negative characteristic in any one of us. To love our own glory, to delight in our own fame, to center around ourselves, and that would be inappropriate for us. But brothers and sisters, that is more than appropriate for God. It is more than appropriate for God to be God-centered. Who else would you rather him center around? If it rubs you wrong that God lives to exalt himself, who else would you rather him exalt? You? At the moment he were to exalt someone or something else, he would no longer be the God who is worthy of all exaltation. And he is. It's what it means for him to be God. God by his very nature is centered around God. There's no one greater than him. And you might think, well, doesn't this take away from his grace from us, from his love for us, that he loves me for his own glory? No, no, no. Oh, follow this. Think about it. If God is completely good and right and loving, all that is love is summed up in God, then what is the greatest gift he could give us? Enjoyment of himself. Worship of himself. Glory in himself. This is the beauty. How does God show his glory? He shows his glory by sending his son as a sacrifice for our sin so that you and I, by his grace, might be forgiven of all of our sin, restored to a relationship with him where we worship him with our all. And not just, yeah, we worship him among the nations. That's right. <laughs> this is just the text, like it's right there. We don't think like this, though. Like what child comes home from a Sunday school class in our churches and has drawn a picture, and at the top it says, God loves himself. (laughs) It's it's me. It's all about me. Which he does love us. He does love us. But he loves us supremely for his glory among the nations. That changes the way you live. Changes the way you, you think about God, the way you read through Scripture. And it makes sense. Like, just think about this book. It's all, it's not just here in Ezekiel 36. I was, I was uh, uh, preaching at a conference a couple weeks ago on the Psalms, and it just hit me in a fresh way. I'm like meditating on these different Psalms. And I'm thinking, God has written a book that instructs us how to give him glory. I just pictured, I pictured, uh, so my wife Heather's here tonight. Like, I pictured going to my wife Heather and saying, babe, I wrote some poems <laughs> about how great I am. <laughs> and I, I want to give them as a gift to you. So, so that, so that, like, think about this, so that you can read them to me. <laughs> you will love this. It'll be so life giving for you, like, in the morning and in the evening. That's <laughs> oh, very different. But this is what God has given us because He knows this is actually good for us. 
It's most life-giving for us. It's Psalm 63, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary. I've beheld your power and glory. And what does it say? Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. His love is better than life. This is what it means to be saved. It means you love the glory of God more than you love your own life. You want the glory of God among the nations more than you want your own life. That will change your Christianity. When you love the glory of God among the nations more than you love your own life, your own plans, your own dreams, your own possessions, when you have all that on the table before him, my entire life is yours for your glory among the nations. That changes the way you think about your life changes the way you think about Christianity when you realize that when you are convinced that you have been saved solely by the grace of God, supremely for the glory of God among the nations. I would just submit that if we were actually convinced of that, it would change the face of our Christianity. It would change the look of our lives and our families and our future. Let's bow our heads and, and close our eyes. I just want to ask you how you need to respond to this today.